Hello, listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is our 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everyone. Now, I have had siblings work the graveyard shift in gas station convenience stores before, and I always held my breath. It's such an easy target for armed robbers. Steve, your own mother has had a robber wave a weapon in her direction. And for some of those robbers, the money isn't enough. Tonight's story is about one of those cases where the man who walked into a Brimfield Township store wasn't just a thief, but a cold-hearted killer. This case goes back to November 28, 1994. It was just four days after Thanksgiving, four days after Brian Michael Foguth probably celebrated all the good things in his life and shared dinner with his family. Brian was the son of Tim and Melanie Jarrell, born in North Platte, Nebraska, but raised in Northeast Ohio. He had two sisters, and they lived most of their life in Brimfield, graduating from the local field high school. That November, he was 23 years old, with a future of possibilities before him. He was college-bound, with dreams of becoming a writer. But in the meantime, he earned his living as a clerk at the Duke and Duchess gas station and convenience store in Brimfield, a township in Portage County. He wasn't scheduled to work that night, but another employee had called off and Brian agreed to fill the void. The store was located at the intersection of I-76 and State Route 43, a busy crossroads. This is where most folks hop off the interstate on their way to Kent State University. But its location midway between I-80 and I-77 also make it a perfect place for someone to commit a crime and disappear within minutes. On November 28, police responded to a silent alarm at the Duke and Duchess. They arrived to find a man leaving the store. It wasn't the killer. It was a customer leaving after the clerk had failed to come to the counter so he could pay for the gas he'd just pumped. It didn't take long for officers to find Brian, though. He was on the floor in the back of the store in a storage area. There was no real mystery as to what had happened because the store had a surveillance camera that taped much of it. A masked figure had entered the store at 2.02 a.m. and led Brian at gunpoint to the back office. They were there for about one minute before coming back into the camera's range. The robber is seen crouching behind the counter while Brian fills a bag with money from the cash register. It's also at this moment that Brian triggers the silent alarm. At 2.04 a.m., a customer arrives at the pumps, automatically ringing a bell in the back office. It appears the robber thought the sound was an alarm going off and panicked, and a struggle begins and takes place off camera. Investigators were able to determine that during the struggle, Brian was able to strike the robber, probably in the face. They found droplets on the floor that didn't belong to Brian, maybe from a nosebleed or a cut lip. But the killer had the last word. Brian was forced to the back of the store in that storage area. 
Investigators said it looked as if he might have been made to kneel before he was shot in the head, execution style, with a 9mm handgun. It all happened within three minutes of when the robber had entered that store, and remarkably, all of it happened without the customer outside hearing or seeing a thing. Police said they could never be certain how the killer left the store or if it had a getaway car parked nearby. The last customer to the store said he did see a white car leaving the area, but there was no obvious panicked flight, nobody peeling out of the parking lot after the shooting. Could the killer have possibly parked closer to the expressway or in an adjacent parking lot? Brimfield police asked the public for help in identifying the killer, circulating an image they captured from the video. He was a white male, anywhere between 18 and 30 years old back in 1996, and 180 pounds on a 5-foot, 9-inch frame. He wore something over his face. To me, it looked like it might have been a ski mask, but police were still hoping someone might recognize an injury to his face. The tape of the encounter also showed what looked like a hump on the killer's back, but detectives weren't sure if it was a physical characteristic or maybe a concealed ponytail. A couple of months before Brian's murder, three men in ski masks robbed the Super Motel 8 directly across the street, but the police didn't believe the two robberies were connected at all. More likely, the motel thieves found it a convenient target for the same reasons someone might target the Duke and Duchess, the ease of escape. Mark Kalinsky, the front desk supervisor at the motel, said the two attacks had everyone's nerves on edge. The whole area is spooked, he said. The community was also outraged and heartbroken. A neighbor of Brian's, Jan Wagner, told a reporter Brian was cheerful and polite. He helped me out a lot, she said. He was a gentle boy, very polite. He loved animals. The neighbor talked about sitting with Brian on her back porch talking about music. He liked rock and roll. And how when he was younger, she would watch him skateboard in a parking lot nearby. She said he was an average all-American boy. One of Brian's teachers, Sally Corbett, remembered a fun-loving student who was always in a good mood, but he also knew how to work hard. A former boss backed that up, recalling how Brian once showed up to work with cuts all over his forehead. He had been in a car accident, but didn't use that as an excuse to miss his shift. A little more than a year after Brian was murdered, on January 5, 1996, Unsolved Mysteries included his case on their TV series. Brimfield Police Captain Robert Burgess even played himself in the reenactments, and Brian's mother attended the filming to offer support. It was the first time she had been to the station since her son lost his life there. As Chief Burgess took a break from filming, he told reporters, I'm hoping this will help us catch the guy. Unfortunately, it did not. Brian Foguth's killer still walks free. In one little red herring that was kind of interesting, police had to quell rumors that Brian's killer was Timothy McVeigh, one of the two domestic terrorists 
responsible for blowing up the courthouse in Oklahoma City and killing 168 people the year after Brian's death. Apparently, that story was fueled by the fact that Timothy McVeigh had stayed at a Brimfield motel the previous fall while attending a gun show. But Brimfield police had to go on the record saying they were not investigating McVeigh for that or any crime. That's it for our midweek 10-minute mystery. We'll see you here Sunday for our next regular full-size Ohio mystery episode. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week, and may all of your mysteries have happy endings. might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight cisgender white men and the victims of true crime are not a monolith either she's wendy and i'm beth and together we host fruit loop serial killers of color a true crime podcast together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold we also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve at fruit loops we're serving up true crime with a side of history society culture and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.